imagine. I wonder how we might have imagined the world unfolding at the beginning of 2020. At the beginning of 2020, we had just won the Super Bowl, right? Best year ever. That might be what we have what we would have said. And at that same time, I've shared with you before, the pastoral staff began to read a book together that was really impactful for us, great conversation, and really began to shape some of the ways we were thinking about the future. It was called Canoeing the Mountains by Todd Bolsinger. The subtitle of that book is Christian Leadership in Uncharted Territory. Now that book was written in 2018. And we heard about it in 2019, and we began reading it, you know, right after the Super Bowl in 2020. And we thought, you know, this seems relevant. A lot of things have changed in the world. Technology, you know, different political views, economic views, the way the world is working. We ought to be thinking about and preparing for the world to be different in the future. Maybe some unexpected surprises than it has been in the past. But... As you know, as 2020 moved forward, the book and the conversations around it began to seem more like a gift of providence than anything else. And they really shaped our thinking throughout the pandemic and really shaped even some of the way we've approached this current ministry plan. In the book, Bolsinger uses the story of Meriwether Lewis and William Clark and their core of discovery expedition that many of us are familiar with to derive key insights about how leadership might adapt when confronted with uncharted territory. You may remember Thomas Jefferson originally commissioned Lewis Clark and their team to find the long sought after Northwest Passage, which was supposed to be a waterway that you could use to travel from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean. Now, of course, they did find a way to forge a path to the Pacific that inspired settlers to move across the continent in search of new life, but it was not through a water passageway as they had thought and prepared. But because just as they got to the place where they thought they were going to cross over the edge, and behold that water passageway, they encountered something they had never expected. The satellite images did not ring this in. The Rocky Mountains. They'd expected the terrain behind them to look just like the terrain, the, the terrain ahead of them to look just like the terrain behind them. But this was not the case. It was not the case for them. And it won't be the case for us either. The terrain ahead of us is unlike the terrain behind us. And this would have been true without a pandemic, but the pandemic has certainly accelerated many of these realities. For almost three years now, our world has been in some sort of obvious flux with emerging challenges, putting us in places that have felt a bit like coming out of a forest with paddles and canoes expecting a body of water on the other side, but instead finding something like the Rocky Mountains as we stare up at them with this sinking feeling that we've left all our high mountain hiking gear behind. This is the landscape we're now living in, hearing the word unprecedented an unprecedented amount of times over the last few years, and for good reason. 
we have to acknowledge then that these kinds of realities need to be incorporated not into not only into all of our planning but specifically into our ministry planning so as we move into an emphasis that requires adopting a plan for the future for mission and ministry we should never now not include the assumption of agility and adapt adaptability there's always got to be a spirit of openness right We've got to be open to what may come, to what may be possible, to what might happen. So how do we do this? And by this, I mean, how do we adopt a plan for two years of mission and ministry in the future in this kind of an atmosphere? How do we do that? Our friend Greg Duncan was recently, as we tap him to do often, leading a group, which he does so well, was leading, uh, one of the groups he was leading was Emmett Drumgool's resident support team. And if I, I'll, I'll probably mess this up, but if I remember correctly, at the beginning of the group, they were making plans about how things would go, about the kinds of things they need to be doing in their group time together. And if you know Greg, you know he, he likes to have his ducks in a row, color-coded, neat and tidy in the right places, right, Amy? You, you have a room in the house where you're free to do with what you want. One room right I didn't get permission to say that I did get permission to tell the story sorry Greg he likes to have them in a, in a neat and tidy row he really likes it and uh, loves it when things when spontaneous things happen but in taking suggestions for how the group should go and I'm planning those kinds of things they were kind of you know making that we'll do this and we'll do this and we'll do this and someone in the group responded well there should also be some spontaneity shouldn't there to which Greg responded by writing in his notes, planned spontaneity. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. But that's really what we're talking about here as we enter into this kind of an emphasis. How do we make plans that include both what we already believe God has led us to do under the guidance of the Spirit together because those are things we want to do and we want to continue to invest in and, and you'll see those kinds of things happening and they all sort of fall under the guide of our mission and ministry, the things that you know and the things that you don't know. We've got you know these statements that guide our plans as we as staff make plans uh, for the future and we think about as leadership what we ought to be doing. And then we've, we've also got this other statement we adopted a couple of years ago that says, we wanna help everyone we encounter experience a vibrant and growing relationship with Jesus. So everything that we do is really falling under this kind of thing, but to do that, we've got to learn to live in and be in tune with the Spirit. And so do you see how some of our planning has incorporated that? That's what we were doing last summer. Well, that's what you were doing. And I was sort of doing it too on a trout stream. Um, but you were spending time in those, you were spending time in those groups, hopefully getting attuned to how to listen for the Spirit better together, which is something that we all need to always be doing as followers of Jesus. So how do we do that, though? How do we live into these things we believe the Spirit has led us to do, the things we're going to put in the ministry plan, but also make space for Spirit-filled spontaneity? It's not an easy balance for us to strike. I mean, we know we're known for that, right? Spontaneity. Um, but it's not an easy balance for anyone to strike. To live into those kinds of plans takes not having everything written out, but honestly 
requires us to approach what we've planned with the proper posture. We've got to, as the song said, keep our hearts and our hands and our minds open so that we are ever ready to respond to whatever God might want us to do and however God might want us to do it, even if it looks nothing like our past. And this is exactly the invitation that Isaiah is offering in Isaiah 43, the invitation that God is offering through the prophet in Isaiah 43. In Isaiah 43, we heard Charlie read a minute ago, the prophet asked people to forget the former things. But that's not because the former things aren't important. In fact, the former things had always and do always form a significant touchstone of the foundation and future of faith. The language of Isaiah 43 is obviously meant to remind them of one of the most formational moments in their past. The one they'd been invited to return to again and again and again, the Exodus. These were Exodus people. When these people find themselves in the midst of tumultuous moments in their lives, moments they've never seen coming, moments when they're wondering whether God still has the power to help them or whether God has left them, they're often invited to remember that their God is the God who delivered them from slavery with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. No matter what boundaries or blockades they or we might be facing, Isaiah reminds us that God is our way maker. It's right there in the text. So that with their backs against the wall, faced with utter destruction at the hands of one of the most powerful nations in history, and with very little way of defending themselves, God made an unprecedented way forward for them through the waters of the Red Sea. But think about it. Until that moment, they couldn't have conceived that God would ever do something like that. After that moment, they were an Exodus people. Before that moment, they could never have even conceived in their minds, in their wildest imagination, that God would have done something like that. But beyond that moment, they couldn't conceive of God's love, power, and faithfulness without it. We never know what's coming. They're an Exodus people. And any time they doubted God, God was quick to remind them of this through prophets, priests, and kings. Which makes it strange, don't you think, that Isaiah would ask them now to forget the former things in one of the most difficult moments of their lives. Don't dwell on the past, he says. But why? Because in this moment, their attachment to the past is keeping them from God's future. In this moment, their attachment to the ways God had worked with them and through them in the past was keeping them from perceiving and embracing God's future. Forget the former things, God says. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Did you know that sometimes a hyper-focus on former things can keep us from effectively perceiving our best future possibilities? It can. Though we know that's not what happened with Lewis and Clark. Lewis and Clark and their team could have easily turned back when they saw the Rockies. They could have easily buckled or broken under the daunting difficulties of the unexpected adventure that lied now ahead. But instead, 
What they did was they succeeded in ways and at things they could have never before conceived. Because in the midst of unforeseen and unimagined challenges, their true depth as a people was revealed. With courage, ingenuity, and teamwork, they dug deep, listening humbly to one another. And through that, they found they actually were prepared for what was ahead. Not because they'd made the right plans or brought the right materials, but because they had the right team, because they had the right community, because they had the right combination of people and they were listening to one another because within them and among them, they had the right inner resources and instincts. And because they learned to listen openly to one another and to, and to their collective instincts and creativity and humility, With dogged determination, they found that they actually enabled one another to adapt well and to achieve something momentous together that before this challenge would have never been conceived before. And I think we can do that too. I think we can do that too. In her book, The Great Emergence, Phyllis Tickle said that the church has a rummage sale about once every 500 years, which is important. Because when we look back to a little over 500 years ago, what we see is forces within and beyond the church converge to prompt what we know as the Protestant Reformation. So what I'm saying is over 500 years ago, just a little over 500 years ago, the church had its last great rummage sale. A massive movement prompting massive change in the church and in the world. And what that tells us, if Phyllis Tickle's right, if she's read her history right, is that we are overdue. If there's a major upheaval every 500 years, then we are overdue. And we've known this, right? And we've seen it. We're seeing it happen. Changes in the culture and technology and in the world as a whole have been bringing these shifts on for, for decades The ways churches have needed to adapt and the things churches have needed to adopt have been out there in front of us for a while. We know this. And that's why books like Canoeing the Mountains are written and that's why they're sold. Because people know it and people are trying to figure out what to do about it. That's why we read it. We we knew this. We expected this. And so we'd been preparing just as you do in business and education and church and ministry and everything else. You know, working to enact the right kinds of responses for what what might arise. Getting prepared with our paddles and our, our canoes. Strengthening our strokes for the wavy waters ahead. Not knowing or expecting coming into 2020 that what was ahead would not be a new kind of waterway, but a new kind of wilderness. And this is what's going on in Isaiah 43. There has been a major rummage sale in their world. And they're now living in exile where everything is different. We talked about that the last couple of weeks. And they want things to go back to the way they were before. They want the things ahead of them to look like the things behind them, and they want to reach those things in the way they've done it in the past. But what's in front of them is unlike anything they could have ever envisioned. And by the way, what they couldn't envision ahead ended up expanding their understanding and their vision of God in a way that had never been true in their history and paved the way for everything that was going to unfold after that. That's what was going on. 
but, but they're having trouble getting it. God's trying to help them get it, but they're having trouble getting it. Because where many of them are is in this space where they're thinking, things aren't okay. We know what that's like. Things aren't okay, and they won't be okay unless the hope and promise of the future looks exactly like the hope and promise of the past. That's what we're familiar with. We're not really moving forward then unless we move forward like that. We're not going to embrace the future unless the future looks like that. We're not going to move into the future unless we can move into the future like that. The waters need to part for us, O oh God. We need for you to make a way for us across the daunting and difficult waves of this sea in front of us, O oh God. And we need you to do it exactly like you did back then so that we'll know it's from you. And God hears those cries. And God is saying to us through the prophet, friends, I hate to tell you this, but that right there is going to end up being a big part of your problem. Because the terrain ahead of you looks nothing like the terrain behind you. And if you doggedly commit to only experiencing a future that looks like your past, then we've got some barriers that are much bigger than what's out there. We've got some barriers that we need to address and need to be broken down in here. When God says through the prophet Isaiah that these people should forget the former things, God's not saying the former things are bad. They're good. They were grand. They should be celebrated. Faith should continue to be built on them. But if they and we become too attached to them, the former things and our rigid attachment to God's former things may cause us to miss some of God's future things. That's just what happens. Behold, God says, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Do you not perceive it? I believe so much of the exciting and energizing work that we have ahead of us is in the work of perceiving it as we imagine our future together. And this is why we had those Acts groups last summer. And this is why we were preaching and worship through the book of Acts asking, how did the Holy Spirit work in the early church? And how might, what might that tell us about how the Holy Spirit might work in us and how we might listen for the movement of the Spirit? And that's why we had an all-church retreat around listening to the Spirit and responding to the Spirit and living in the Spirit. These were all part of our plans, our preparations. For what? Well, some of you may already have a sense of what you think those things are. Because you spent your summer striving to get a sense of what the Spirit might have for us and to imagine the possibilities. And if you came out of that summer wondering, well, what now? What next? What are we going to do with all of this we think we're sensing and hearing from God? I want you to know we're not done with that. That was only the beginning. We've actually made plans for what may look like and feel like spontaneity to us, but that's only because of how human we are and how we're going to go about the work of perceiving it. Imagining our future together is exactly what we're going to do in the months and years ahead, and it's exactly what we're going to do if we commit to this plan you're going to hear more and more about in the coming weeks. 
We heard on the video, Connie actually spent a lot of time trying to, con- try to, trying to um, get for us this incredible consultant that we knew about with Duke Leadership that she's worked with before and that, that uh, I actually have worked with before as well. Just incredible. And she reached out and he turned us down and she reached out again and he turned us out again and she was persistent and she blackmailed him and we got him by the power of the Spirit. He's going to be here. I promised I wouldn't say how we did it, but we did. Our plan is to have him here for that season of visioning and discernment where we're listening for the Spirit in our midst. What is God saying to us together? And how do we join in with what God is showing us together? How do we listen for the Spirit through one another? We're going to listen to the Spirit in a very open and intentional way. We are planning on it. And our hope and our plan and our commitment is to respond to it with faithfulness. And so in light of that, we're asking you right now to respond in faith. By choosing to show up in the weeks ahead the events and the worship services and these kinds of things, by reading what we send you, as we reflect on ways we're hoping to be part of God's dream here and around our region and around our world. We're asking each and every one of you to be open to what the Spirit might want to say to you and how God might want to use you in the months and years ahead. And we're asking you to consider how you might generously commit to that through your time your talents, your wisdom, and your finances. Can you imagine what it would be like if we were all, all in? Completely invested in our commitment to Jesus and following the lead of the Spirit. I think much like Lewis and Clark's Corps of Discovery... God has already equipped us with all of the resources and the people we need to do beautiful and wonderful things. The beautiful and wonderful things God wants and has for us in the future. God has provided it, and God will provide it. But we have to be open to it. Augustine once said, Without God, we can't. Without us, God won't. We have to be open to it. We have to take the time to perceive it and to join in with it. And once we perceive it, whatever it is, we must be willing to reach out with conviction and courage and commitment to embrace it. And I believe we will. I believe we will. Let's sing toward that commitment now as we continue to worship.